Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke. It's near the end of the parable of the prodigal son, uh, the key moment in that parable. We'll be reading Luke 15, verses 20 through 24. Luke 15, 20 through 24. I don't think this will get to y'all by now, right? It's not going to go that far. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive. Again, he was lost and found and they began to celebrate. As you read through the book of Luke, it becomes evident, as one individual said, that Jesus came to preach to the least, the last, and the lost. That as you look through the book of Luke, that you see in a number of places that Jesus is concerned about those that are overlooked, that, about those that are hurting, about those that are in need, about those that are looking and searching and, and looking to find what it is that God wants them to find. In Luke chapter 4, verse number 16 through 20, we find that Jesus, as he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And this is what Jesus read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He said after he closed these things, after he read these words from the prophet Isaiah, he closed the book and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus said, look, this is me. I came to fulfill these things. And as we mentioned a moment ago, Jesus came to preach to the least, the last, and the lost. Think about it. Through the book of Luke, after this account in verses 31 through 37, Jesus heals a man with demons. Later on in the chapter 4, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. At the end of chapter 4, he, it's, it's said that he healed various diseases. In chapter number 5, he heals a leper, and he heals a lame man. In chapter number 6, he heals a man with a withered hand. In chapter 7, he heals the centurion's servant, as well as the son of the widow of Nain, as well as healing many others with many infirmities. At the end of chapter 7, Jesus has his feet anointed by a woman, and it was by some that were there in that day questioned, why is Jesus allowing that? But Jesus was concerned about the last, the least, and the lost. 
In chapter number eight, he heals a demon-possessed man. He raises Jairus' daughter. He heals the woman with the issue of blood. And then in chapter number 10, he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is concerned about the least, the last, and the lost. And then we come to Luke chapter number 15, our text for this morning. Open up your Bibles there. You've perhaps already read that this week. I hope that you're keeping up with your readings in our Reading in Sync program, in which we found this week to be our theme, the love of God, and how we focused upon the love of God. And we read those words from Scripture that emphasized particularly that God is love, 1 John chapter number 4. And as we see in Luke chapter number 15, we find that Jesus tells three different parables. He tells the parable of the lost sheep first, then he tells the parable of the lost coin, and then he tells the parable of the prodigal as we know him, the prodigal son or the lost son. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And as we look at each of these parables, we're reminded of some great lessons and we see some things that are very important for us to glean as far as principles about our own lives. But we would be amiss if we didn't stop to notice that these particular parables are about God. They're about the God who loves us. And in keeping with the theme, the love of God, we would do well to remember that God loves all people, even, dare we say, those that stray. Those that stray. We might put it this way. Our God is a God who loves no matter what. A God who loves no matter what. Don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to say that straying sheep are right in the sight of God. Because the very idea of a sheep straying indicates that it's not with the fold. It's not in the presence of God. But there is a sense in which God looks at all of humanity as sheep. And when we think about what is said of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, that when Jesus looked at the multitudes, he had compassion for them. Because when he saw them, they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is concerned, again, about the least, the last, and the lost. Let's consider some principles, some lessons from Luke chapter number 15. The first thing I want us to consider is that God is concerned about all sheep, especially, especially those that are lost. Notice Luke chapter 15, verse number 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Something very remarkable about the second part of verse number four that maybe we don't think about often enough. We think about the fact that God loves us. We think about the fact that God cares about us and he feels for us, but have you ever considered the fact that we serve a God who is a seeking God? One that goes out and takes the initiative to look for those that are lost. It's not that he just has heart feelings for us. It's not just that he hurts when we're hurting, but he takes the initiative and takes the action to make a difference in the matter. And so as you think about the religious world around us and the different types of religions that are in the world, 
many of the gods, little g gods that exist, are often gods that sit upon the high places and they rain down over the, over the earth in, in the people's minds. And they, they don't, they, maybe they care about the people, but they sit up there and they just wait for us to serve them. But what's amazing about the God of the Bible, what's amazing about the love of God as we consider these things this morning, is that we serve a God who is a seeking God, one that comes and looks for us like the shepherd does for the one that's lost. And then not only is God a seeking God, but if we were to continue through the parable, we won't take the time to read every verse this morning, but notice verse number seven. Jesus said, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. It's not just that God comes and seeks after us, but heaven at large, God included for sure, is joyous. He's happy. He rejoices in the fact that we come home and he wants that. When we think about that, some people might say, well, how is it the case that God rejoices over that one sinner that repents than over the 99 that didn't? How is that adding up? How does that make sense? We might think of it this way. Is it not the case that when we as parents have children that are sick or a child that is sick, that we rejoice and we're exceedingly glad whenever that child becomes well again? Not that we are more caring for that one child or that we love that one child more than the other children, but that once that child eventually becomes well again, we are so happy that they are no longer sick, even to the point that it reminds us And it helps us to remember of the blessing that it is to have the other children as well. And so we think about God in that sense that we may add that the very restoration of one one brings to his mind the thought of the others and the joy that they are still well. That when that one sinner repents, that God is again reminded that look at all these other people that I also still have in my fold. God is concerned about all sheep, especially those that are lost. He's not just concerned about the sheep that are in his fold. He loves each and every one of us that are in his fold, but God loves each and every soul on the earth. One man said, you'll never look into the eyes of another human being that does not matter to God. As you think about this God that we serve, God is concerned about all sheep, especially those that are lost. Consider next that God is concerned about all sheep, no matter the cause for why they are lost. No matter the cause for why they are lost. Remember we said there's three parables in Luke chapter 15, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son? Some have observed this way, perhaps, that the lost sheep is a wanderer. A wanderer, one that knows that it's lost and wants to return but it doesn't really know how. It gets out there on its own and it realizes, uh-oh, the shepherd's not around, my flock's, the rest of my flock's not around. I know I'm lost, but I don't know how to get back to my shepherd. But then we consider the coin, and the coin is lost, and we might say, this particular coin is not necessarily a wanderer because it doesn't spring up legs and walk off on its own, but rather that it's lost because of someone else's influence. It's lost because of someone else's influence. Someone else lost that coin. Now, don't misunderstand. We're not implying that you and I are lost because of someone else. 
Every decision that we make, every wrong choice that we make is of our own accord, and we are going to give an account for the things that we do. But the lost coin, perhaps, is someone that is lost but doesn't know that they are lost because someone else has influenced them to follow the wrong path, the wrong course in life. But then we have, right, the lost sheep, the lost coin, but then we have the lost son, someone who is rebellious, someone that knows that they are lost, but doesn't really care about things, about the fact that they're lost until things really get bad. So we have the lost sheep that that is lost and knows that it's lost, the lost coin that is lost but doesn't really realize that they're lost because maybe they've been influenced by someone else to believe something that's wrong. They're believing sincerely those things. And then we have the lost son. And maybe you fall into one of those three categories this morning. Maybe you don't realize that you're lost and, and maybe things, that are beginning, or things are becoming more clear to you because of things that are now being taught to you. And you're realizing maybe I am lost. Maybe I'm not doing what the Bible says. But maybe you're in the third category. Maybe you're someone that's rebellious and you know that you're lost and you're not really going to change until things really, really get bad. So some great things to consider that God is concerned even about those people, even about the ones that are rebellious. He doesn't even write them off as we'll find out about the lost son here in a little bit. So God is concerned about all sheep, especially those that are lost. God's concerned about all sheep, no matter the reason for why they're lost. Consider next that God is concerned about all sheep, no matter how much it will cost. Think about this. Consider the costly effort that the shepherd that represents God in this parable goes to. The shepherd in Luke chapter 15, when he realizes that there is a sheep that is lost, he leaves where he is. Which man of you having a hundred sheep, verse number four, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness. He doesn't just send a hired servant to go look for that sheep. He doesn't sit up on his own hillside perch and say, hey, look, I need you to go down there where that, you know, that craggy rock is in in that dangerous area where someone might be hiding that might be a thief or or there might be a wolf or a bear or whatever it may be. I'm going to send you to go look for that lost sheep. No, God, our God, he leaves, think about Jesus, He leaves his lofty hillside perch and comes to this earth to search for those that are lost. Not only does he leave, but he goes. What is that? What's the difference? He doesn't just look as far as he can see. He doesn't just kind of take a few steps this way and, I don't see that sheep over there. Instead, he leaves where he is and he goes to look for it. And he doesn't just look for it for 15 minutes or, or just enough time that maybe he thinks, oh, I might have seen it by, by now, but it's probably lost, maybe got eaten by a wolf at this point. But he goes, notice the next phrase in verse 4, until he finds. Until he finds. There is no limit. He doesn't go until lunchtime. He doesn't go until dark. He doesn't go until fill in the blank. He goes until what needs to be done is done. And then once he finds the sheep... What does he do? That stinking sheep starts to kick it. Come on, where have you been all day? Mm -mm. What does God do? What does the shepherd do? He picks up that sheep and he lays it on his shoulders. He doesn't whip it or kick it or make it walk or drag it back. He carries it home. 
And then, not only that, but he rejoices. He's happy to do it. He's glad that he's been found. He doesn't seem to be irritated that he had to go out of his way to find the sheep. Instead, he rejoices to the point that he calls his friends to tell them about it. And he says, rejoice with me. His joy doesn't cease once he returns home, but he gets home and he calls his friends and he says, look, I want you guys to be happy as well that I found this lost sheep. Consider the costly effort that Jesus, the shepherd, that God, our good shepherd, goes to to find the lost sheep, but also consider the costly risks. When he goes to find that lost sheep, he's leaving the other 99. There's some risk associated with going to find that lost sheep. With the lost coin, the woman, as she's seeking to find the lost coin, notice what is said of her. She lights a candle to find it, and she begins to burn some very important oil. She's investing some money by way of the oil to find some other money. There are some costly risks associated with this individual looking for someone that is lost. And then consider the attitude despite the cost. The attitude of the father, the attitude of the shepherd, the attitude of this woman, despite the cost. Notice the attributes of the father. He is fair. Verse number 12 in the parable of the prodigal son, this father divides evenly his portion. Verse number 17, he is just. Even his servants had bread and to spare. Verse number 18, he is merciful. The son recognized that his father was the kind of man that would take him back, even considering what he'd done. This father is anticipatory. He was looking and longing for him, looking down the road, hoping that that son would come in verse number 20. And when he finally does come, he's tenderhearted and he's compassionate. He felt compassion on that son. He's not vindictive or overly suspicious of the son. He gives him the benefit of the doubt. He doesn't say, hold on just a second. I'm going to make sure that you need, that you can prove that your apology is, is real and that it's true and, and trustworthy. He's not petty like that. Instead, he's forgiving. We find that the father's apology is immediate. Despite the son's demands, in verse number 12, despite the son's wastefulness in verse number 13, despite the son's sinfulness in verse number 13. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that in the Jewish culture, that an individual that was associating with pigs was doing something was, that was of the, low, the lowest uh, idea or concept of, of their imagination? Because Jews looked at swine, they looked at pigs as something that was dirty, that was, that was foul, And here was this man's son who had gone and wasted his living to the point that he was now eating with the pigs in the pigsty. But God, represented by the father, looks at his son and he forgives him despite the sinfulness. He forgives him despite his pride that he didn't just come back immediately as soon as the stuff was wasted. He kept living in that bad living. He kept living in the pigsties despite the son's pride, the father still forgives him despite the cost of the reunion. Once the son finally comes home, the reunion wasn't a cheap one, if you will, because eventually they kill the fatted calf and they put a ring on his finger and a robe on his back. It's a costly reunion. This father is gracious. 
All of these things that he gives, though we think that he might not deserve these things. Some great lessons to learn. The question for us is, so what? So what? Though I believe that while, though there are many principles that can and have been learned from these parables up to, these, up to this point, I believe that they have all been leading up to the last section of the parable of the prodigal son. If you're like me for many years, the climax, the, the big point of the parable of the prodigal son was when the son comes home and the father forgives him. And that certainly is a great lesson to be learned. But we need to ask ourselves, why is Jesus telling these parables? Because when we get to the older son, the son that stayed home, we begin to realize that Jesus is telling this parable for a particular reason. Notice with me, we intentionally skipped it, the beginning of chapter number 15, verses 1 through 3. Then all the tax collectors, and notice the sinners, drew near to Jesus to hear him. What happens? Once, once, these Pharisees and, uh, once these sinners and tax collectors drew near to Jesus, what happens? The Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. But notice the next word. It's two letters. Highly important. So, so Jesus spoke this parable, ultimately these parables, to them. Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son in response to the fact that the Pharisees and the scribes were questioning why Jesus was spending time with sinners. Why the God of heaven and earth was spending time with the last and the least and the lost. As it turns out, Jesus is getting to the end of the parable of the prodigal son, and he gets to that elder son, and there's some interesting comparisons between verses 1 and 2 and verses 25 and 27. In verse number 1 and 2, we see that they drew near, that is the sinners and the tax collectors. And the accusation was levied against Jesus that Jesus received sinners and that he ate with them. And then now open to verses 25 and verse 27. Notice what's interestingly said by the elder son. Now his elder son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and so he called one of the servants and asked, what are these things that, what do they mean? And he said to him, your brother has come. He's drawn near. He's come home. Just like very similarly was said in verses 1 and 2, that the sinners and tax collectors drew near to Jesus. But not only that, continue reading in verse 27, and because he has received him safe and sound, not only did he, th- th- this, older, this younger son draw near, but Jesus, or the, as represented by the father, receives the younger son safe and sound. He doesn't kick him out, he doesn't send him away, he receives him. But not only that, like the Pharisees levied against Jesus, now the father's eating with this younger son who had been out wasting all of his possessions. You see the parallels in what Jesus is saying about the parable of the prodigal son with regard to the older son and the attitude that he had about the younger son and how, he, how the father received the younger son back home and he, now he's eating with him. Just like 
The Pharisees and the scribes were saying, wait, wait a second, Jesus is receiving these sinners and tax collectors? He's receiving them, and not only is he receiving them, but he's eating with them. What's the deal here? The point of the parables is this. Jesus' attitude is represented in verses 4 through 24 in the way that the shepherd goes and finds the lost sheep, in the way that the woman goes and finds the lost coin, in the way that the father welcomes the son back and receives him. And the Pharisee's attitude is represented in the older son in verses 25 through 32. The attitude of the older brother was the exact attitude of the Pharisees and scribes toward the sinners that Jesus was receiving. The older son said, these many years I've served you, dad. But apparently he was only serving for acknowledgement. The older son says, I never disobeyed a single command. But apparently the older son was only obeying for affirmation. He said, yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Apparently he was only serving for reward rather than sonship. He says, but when your son, he doesn't say when my brother, he says, when your son came home, you killed the fatted calf for him. Apparently, the older brother was only serving his father for preeminence, at least it seems. Think about the Pharisees. Were they serving God because they had the right heart? If you've been with us on our Wednesday night Bible study, we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and that was the point of Jesus' sermon. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is saying, look, you're serving me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And Jesus is saying the same thing here about the older brother. Look, you're serving to get reward. You're serving to be affirmed. You're serving so that you might have others see you. You're serving so that you might be rewarded by the fatted calf or with a fatted calf. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, in light of what we see about our God and the fact that he welcomes sinners home, and not only does he welcome them home, but he goes out and finds them, and he lights a candle until they're found, and, and he, as soon as they make their way down the road, he runs to them and embraces them. What does God want me to know about him? God wants me to know that he is concerned about me, even me, a sinner. God wants me to know that he is concerned about me despite no matter the reason why I am lost. God wants me to know that he's concerned about me no matter how much it cost him. Romans chapter number 5 talks about the fact that God, while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. While we were sinners, Jesus died for us. Demonstrating, communicating to us that he loves us and is concerned about us no matter what we've done. It doesn't absolve us of the responsibilities for the wrongdoing that we've committed. It doesn't say, oh, God loves us no matter what, and so therefore I can just continue on in my sin. That's, that's the point of Paul goes on to continue to argue in Romans chapter 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. But what Paul is arguing there is that God loves us. He sent his son and demonstrated his love in that that he sent his son, despite the fact that we were sinners. He loves us even when we are sinners. God wants me to know that, and Jesus wanted those people to know that on that day, particularly the scribes and Pharisees, that look, 
I love these people. In Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32, Jesus had already told them that. He said, look, I don't come to this world to save those that are righteous. I come to those that are in need of a physician. But apparently they didn't get the point, so Jesus goes on and continues to try to reiterate these things with these three parables in Luke chapter number 15. What does God want me to do? He wants me not only to know what God is and the fact that he's concerned about me, but he wants me to act like the prodigal son acts when he comes home. He wants me to know that when I am astray, that when I've gone by the wayside, that God still loves me, that God still wants me to come home. That might be you this morning. That might be you this morning thinking, you know what, how could God still love me? How could he forgive me for what I've done? God has already, Jesus has already died for you, even while you were a sinner. He wants you to come home. He wants you to be in a right relationship with him. So what does God want me to do? He wants me to do what the prodigal son did and just swallow my pride and repent and come home and say, God, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. But you know what? God doesn't look at us like that. He looks at us like the Father does, and he ends up celebrating. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 just persons that need no repentance. God wants you to come home. Are you lost? Are you wandering? But what about those of us that have already repented? We need to ask ourselves, am I like God, the Father in the parables here? Or am I like the Pharisees? Is it so clear to sinners that we are concerned about them that they draw near to us when they see us like they drew near to Jesus? When they see you on the street, do they draw away from you because they think that's a judgmental guy, I don't want to do anything, have anything to do with him? Or do they say, man, there's something about Joe. There's something about Kathy. There's something about that individual that when I see them, I'm drawn to them. I want to know who this master is that they serve. Is it clear to sinners that we're concerned about them? When a sinner does show interest in contrition, do we openly receive them like the Father does, thinking about the love of God? Do we go out and seek sinners like Jesus did, or are we like the older brother sitting and waiting on our high horse? Final question for us this morning. When a sinner does repent, is it our default to make merry and be glad? Like our Father, the love that He possesses? Or do we doubt? Do we question the sincerity of someone? We say, I'm not really sure that that person that's walking down the aisle is really ready to give up the life that they've been living. I think that they just want to clear their conscience, and maybe they just do. But you know what? God's ready to forgive them. God's ready to welcome them home. And you and I do as well, need to as well. Sometimes at the end of a sermon, there's what we might call a hook, hook illustration to say, we're going to tie all these things back together. But you know what? There's no illustration. There's no hook that could be better than just thinking about the sacrifice of Jesus and what he's done for us, the love that he's demonstrated to us. With each parable, the value of the lost item, percentage-wise, increases. With the lost sheep, that one lost sheep only represented 1% of the entire fold. 
With the lost coin, it represented 50% or 10% of, of the lost coins because there were 10 total coins and, and only one lost coin. So we moved from 1% to 10%. But then in the parable of the lost son, we're now moved to the value of that son uh, uh, to his father to 50%. But you think about it, think about the cost of the sacrifice of Jesus. It was 100%. How much does God love you? How much does he love me? He loves us with every fiber of his being. He loves us with 100%, if you will. He gave all of himself so that you and I could be saved, so that you and I would have the opportunity of salvation. It was said this way, as far as Jesus is concerned, humanly speaking, the sinner is heavier when he lies on Jesus' heart before he is found than when he lies on his shoulders after he is found. This morning, the question for you is this. Are you heavier on Jesus' heart this morning because you are still a sinner that has yet to repent? Or are you one that has allowed Jesus to pick you up and to carry you and to say you're forgiven? As we said a while ago, God loves you. We serve a God who loves no matter what. That doesn't mean that there's no responsibility on your part. We want to give you that opportunity this morning. If you're not right with the Lord, God is ready to welcome you home. We've seen the fact that God loves you no matter what. Just allow him to welcome you home. And I promise you this, that as you walk down that aisle, that there are a number of other individuals in this room that are ready to welcome you home as well and want you to be right with the Lord again. Are you lost? Are you straying? Is there anything that we can do for you? We ask that you come as together we stand and as we sing.